And I, I am so happy you're here. You've made the world a better place because you came to church today because together we represent Jesus who is the light of the world. Speaking of light, this is the last Sunday of Epiphany. We've been celebrating the gift of Jesus to the world. And next Sunday, well, actually, this Wednesday starts Lent. We're going to have a Ash Wednesday service at noon this Wednesday. And so if you want to participate in that, Pastor Aubrey will be leading us in worship. I'll be giving a devotional. And for those who choose, if you want that symbolic um, um, giving of the ashes, that's a, a chance for us to recognize how great Jesus is, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and that has made all the difference. And so consider that both this Wednesday at noon, and as Beth said, we have a prayer and worship night Friday at 7 p.m. We're going to be filled up, aren't we, this week, huh? Filled up with expressions of Jesus. And then we move into Lent, which is 40 days excluding Sunday before Easter. And it's a time for you to either give something up or to add something to your life to prepare your heart for the Easter season, for resurrection. So for me, this particular year, um, I'm, going, I'm going to do some extra spiritual reading. So some reading that I haven't got around to in, in, in a few years, kind of some theological reading um, that, that takes some discipline and, and takes some effort on my part. That's what I feel like God's calling me to do. So you can make that determination yourself if you choose to join the global church in during the season of Lent, preparing your heart. It's like going with Jesus in the desert for 40 days uh, before he goes to the cross, and then we celebrate his resurrection. So that's what's coming up. Well, today's Transfiguration Sunday in the church around the world, we're talking about this amazing occurrence when Jesus uh, went to a mountain. We don't know which mountain it was, uh, but he went to the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and something remarkable happened on top of that mountain. And we're going to learn about Jesus, and we're going to learn about ourselves uh, through that experience. Over 25 years ago now, I can't believe I've been alive that long. I was, um, I had just finished high school and I was at a Young Life wilderness camp for seven days. Uh, we went hiking in the wilderness and it was quite an experience. Here's a picture of me. I'm the guy in the orange stocking cap. It's, not, it's an old picture from 1993. So yeah, that's me there. And, and this just looks like a typical picture, but this was a, a really one of the more defining experiences of my life because this whole trip was really hard. My young life director said, you guys aren't prepared. You think you are because you're athletes, but you're not prepared. And of course, we didn't do the training and we got our tails kicked. I mean, when you, when you haven't prepared to hike, it was, it was just uh, excruciating. It was just so difficult. And we came to what, you see this picture here. We were, we were about an hour, hour's hike away from the highest point we would be on the trip. And one of my best friends, he was a... He had, he, he had a football scholarship waiting for him, and he was a great athlete, but he just said, I can't go any further. I cannot go any further. And so they said, well, stay here. We'll be back in two hours. And he said, Aaron, stay here with me, man. Come on. You can't, you can't do it, man. You can't make it. You stay here with me, man. And, and, and I almost did. Guys, I came so close, you know, uh, so close because I wasn't skinny like the rest of those guys. But um, I pushed through. I pushed through, and it was tough, and it was hard, but to this day, it was one of the most exhilarating experiences of my life to be 
at such a high place. In fact, a storm was coming in, and, and when we took off our hats, our hair stood up because of the static electricity up there. It was just crazy. And, and, and there at the mountaintop, when you're, when you're at a very isolated place, you see things others don't see, and you have experiences other people don't experience. Here's my first point today. My first point is this. is Jesus transforms on the mountain. If you're taking notes, write it down. Write it down. I can just, I can just feel the pens. It's like burning, you know, like the friction on the paper because you're just dying to write down that point. And some of you just have great memory. So, hey, you're, you're not like me. I have to write stuff down. Uh, Jesus transformed to the mountain. Look at verse 28. About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. This was just was an amazing experience. At the place of prayer and at the place of sacrifice and at, at the place of dedication, transformation happens. And Jesus needed uh, an empowerment. I mean, he was an example to us because he was about to face the most difficult challenge of, of his earthly life. That was the cross. Uh, as soon as he came down from the mountain, it, it was down the beginning of, uh, of that final push before he went to the cross. And so Jesus uh, needed this experience. And it's like an example to us of why, why, why we needed this experience. But also on top of the mountain is where there was a new understanding of who Jesus is. And you have to sometimes go to that place that takes a little more effort and it takes a little more sacrifice and even it takes some isolation from the crowd if you want to see Jesus fully. This is an invitation to you guys. Guys, I'm not here trying to challenge whether you're going to heaven or not. I mean, I kind of want us to move past that challenge because if we're always scared, we're not going to make it into heaven. We haven't fully understood who Jesus is. Jesus wants to settle that. He wants you not to live in eternal insecurity. He wants you to know who he is, understand his grace. But now we're growing with the Lord and we're going to new places and God's calling us to higher places with him. Higher places with him. It takes it takes sometimes more positioning to see Jesus in a new way. You've got to go higher. You've got to go to a place you haven't been before. It takes proximity to Jesus. It's a closeness. There's a nearness to Jesus. It takes less of the crowd and more of, of, of um, leaving behind those who are trying to keep you from, uh, uh, with the rest of the crowd and saying, I'm going to go to the height. There's something powerful about the pinnacle of the mountain. I mean, there's just no place like it. There's a different view at the summit. And we become different at the pinnacle. That's why we need mountaintop experiences. I want to remind you about Moses. Moses was really a, uh, the, the leader of the Jewish people who took them to new places and new ground. And he went up on a mountain too, Mount Sinai. And at the top of that mountain is where he received the revelation that changed a whole people, that which has changed us. And this is what happened at the end of that, verse 29. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, and as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin on his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. 
on the mountaintop. He came down, and he came down differently. He had a glow. He had a shine on him. He had glory on him. And, and the Bible tells us we're not supposed to talk about our prayer time, but um, because you're so gracious, I'm able sometimes, you know, I, I block out times to pray in my office, and I tell our secretary, I'm like, you know, hold drop-by visitors because I'm in prayer. Because if you don't prioritize prayer, you don't pray. When I come out and I head to the coffee station, you know, I often joke with the people in the office, like, you see the glory on me? I got shine on me. I'm like, Moses, coming out of the office. They never have said they've seen any glory on me. <laughs> what mountaintop experiences have you had? I want you to think about that for a second. What is your mountain? Maybe it was... Uh, Trace Diaz, a lot of you guys have been to something like that. Maybe it was the IF conference this weekend. Maybe it's your old church, you know, that church back in Ohio or Florida or California, and you're like, man, I love that church. CIL is okay, but man, my church in Iowa, whew, that was awesome. Uh, maybe you miss a former style of church. You miss the days when hankies were waved in the air and, and uh, the pastor, like in the middle of a sermon, took off his sports coat and, 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 you know, when it was really getting good and there's cultural things that you miss about church. Those things are fun. Maybe there's just a special person in your life and when you were, you were, net, you were close to that person, you felt closer to God. These can be almost considered like mountaintop experiences. And, and, and they're good. They, they become defining for us. They're transformational. Um, and growing up, youth camp was that way for me. I went to every youth camp I could possibly go to. Our church provided a couple of youth camps. And sometimes I went with, I went to other churches' youth camps, and I just, those were places to get away and encounter God. And it was like a mountaintop. And, and God moves in that. And I want you to to think about that because you do need mountaintop experiences. And if you haven't had a mountaintop experience in a while, in a while you may need to um, position yourself to receive that. Do something different. Go on a retreat or go have a time of solitude or get around someone inspirational. These are important because here's my second point. Jesus is revealed on the mountain. Jesus is revealed on the mountain. It's more of a reinforcement of what I've already said. Look what happened in verse 30. 30. Suddenly, two men were walking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in, in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. This is what we want to do, okay? And I want to give some commentary here. When, when we're at a mountaintop experience, we love that weekend retreat, and we love that special minister, and we love that special experience. We want to camp out, don't we? We say, um, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, and here's what the Lord says, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid, and as they entered the cloud, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Here it was that Peter, James, and John were so impressed with Moses and Elijah. I mean, why would they not be? These were the legends of the faith. Moses was, he represented the law. Elijah, he represented the prophetic gift that God had given. The greatest two people 
of the Jewish faith. It'd be like in American Christianity if all of a sudden Billy Graham appeared. And who else? Maybe Tim Tebow appeared. The 2009 version of Tim Tebow when he was winning games and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, whoa, like Billy Graham's reincarnated and the 2009 virgin, version of, uh, well, yeah, that works too. Um, I will not be able to duplicate that in the second service. There's no way. The 2000, uh, 2009 Tim Tebow shows up also. It's like, whoa, how can it get any better than this? It's Billy Graham and, and old school Tim Tebow. Let, let's, this is awesome. This is awesome. Let's do a selfie. Come on, Billy. I want a selfie with you. And I'm gonna, I want to get that. Let, let, let's, let's promote this. Let's have a special Sunday because these guys are awesome. These guys are incredible. And Jesus is cool too. Yeah, Jesus is good. And the voice of the Father says, hey, listen, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Don't listen. Don't listen to Moses in the way you used to. Don't listen to Elijah. Don't be enamored with Billy Graham or Tim Tebow. Be enamored. This is my son. This is Jesus. Can I tell you that God has very special places for you? I hope CIL either is or will become a special place. I think about these students here in the front row to my left. That They're at a special place. Lee University is a special place. I'm there. I'm like, man, I want to go back to school. This is great. Whitney went there too. She's there. It's great. You, you have this great atmosphere and a spiritual atmosphere, but it's really not healthy for you guys to stay at Lee University forever. I mean, like you're supposed to go there for a few years and move on. God has special places and then God has special people in your life. Maybe it's one of your youth pastors. Maybe it's one of your pastors. Maybe it's a 242 leader. Maybe it's one of the, the, the ladies who pray for you at special times. And, and he gives you these special people and he gives you special events. Some of you just love certain events, certain conferences or certain, certain spiritual experiences. Uh, uh, winter Jam. Dang, oh man, Winter Jam is awesome, man. Winter Jam, I'm never gonna miss again. Are, are, uh, Kennedy, are you going to Winter Jam this year? When you, when you were younger in high school, you're like, I'll never miss Winter Jam. And now you're older, so you don't go to Winter Jam as much. Luke's the same way too. So, you know, we, we think, well, Winter Jam is the best. Oh, my goodness, I cannot wait to go hear all the people from, from K-Love sing to me. <laughs> but if you're living every year for Winter Jam, like, I can't wait till the next Winter Jam. 342 days until the next Winter Jam. How many know that that, that may have been a mountaintop, but it's not the mountaintop you need to stay and I want to say this, God has a special place, he has special people, he has a special events, but when all of those change, which they will, when all of those disappoint you, because any organization, any human being, even events themselves lose their luster and they're not as exciting as they used to be, when those disappoint you, when those disappear, because human institutions don't last forever, you know what you're left with? You're left with Jesus. And the father says this, don't set up tents. Listen to my son. Listen to my son. This is my beloved one. This is the ageless one. This is the, he is the one you can count on. He's the one you can depend on. He is the one who will never leave you. Our psalm for the day that we read in our call to worship, Psalms 99, picking up with verse five says, exalt the Lord our God. Bow in worship at his footstool. He is holy. 
And verse 6 says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Hey, as great as Moses was, he was just a priest. That's all he was. He was just a one serving the people. Samuel also was among those calling on his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in a pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and statutes he gave them. Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their sinful actions. Exalt the Lord, our God. Bow and worship at his holy temple. For the Lord, our God, is holy. Guys, I hope that churches like ours um, invigorate your faith. I hope that you have spiritual mentors. I hope uh, these ladies that you heard speak at the IF conference, I hope they're good role models and they can inspire you to love Jesus more. But listen, he alone is holy. He alone is the one you can count on. Have you ever been there when like someone's been inspirational to you and you, you think, if I could just get around that person and like if, if I could just schedule a lunch or if I could just get a phone call with them, if I could just you know, hear their voice or if I could just get their perspective on a situation. And there's been times when, when I've had people in my life that I've sought out and nothing landed. It was just another lunch. It was just another phone call. It was just another text exchange. That's okay. That's probably good because then you have Jesus, right? You have Jesus because he is the one who, who you can always count on. He's the one you can always depend upon. You know, the first time our church crossed 500 in attendance, it, it was on a Easter Sunday. And we were, maybe, maybe we averaged maybe 300 people. And we had 500 on an Easter Sunday. And it was exciting. I mean, it, it felt like a mountaintop experience. There was energy around here. And we were shuffling around chairs and doing different things and, and becoming more organized. And I remember the men's Bible study that still Happens down. They, they took off that week so they could be in the parking lot because we'd never had parking lot attendance before because uh, there was always plenty of places to park. There was no problem with traffic because there wasn't that much traffic. And so they, they, they changed. And, and so it was, it was exciting. It felt like a mountaintop experience. One of my spiritual mentors, I was telling him about this. Or well, actually, let me, let me restart that. One of my spiritual mentors asked me, how many did you guys have on Sunday? I said, well, we had 505. But in order to be humble, I quickly said, but, you know, that's not our average, so it's really no big deal. I said, said, we usually have around 300. And he corrected me. He said, no, no, Aaron, it is a big deal because once your people see 500, they'll never be satisfied with 300 again. They'll always know we, we can go higher. Sure enough, nowadays we have 500 every Sunday. It's just no big deal. No, it's just what we do. We do two services. We have people organized, people running this place. And, and so that, that's how that works. Because why? Because when you go to the mountaintop, whatever your mountaintop is, it becomes transformational. And you think, we can do this. You know, we, we, we had one service, now we have two services. Christmas Eve last year, we had, for the first time, three, Easter serv- three Christmas Eve services. And then we'll have three Easter services this year. And then we won't have three services for a while. But someday when we need three services, everyone will be like, hey, we can do three services. We do it for Christmas Eve and we do it for Easter. What I'm trying to reemphasize is this. Mountaintop experiences are transformational. Write this down. Jesus transforms us on the mountain. There's my third point. 
We go there because we're never the same. My, my favorite meal used to be Stouffer's lasagna. I hear groans all over the crowd. But no, when I was a kid, I loved Stouffer's lasagna. Mom would go to Sam's and get that silver pen, uh, silver bin, you know, and, and I'd slide back the cover and I'd scoop me out some, I was like, awesome lasagna day. Stouffer's lasagna. If it was my birthday, what do you want? Lasagna. <laughs> go to Sam's, get me the Stouffer's lasagna. In 1995, I moved here to Nashville. I was single, but I knew a friend here and he, he had me, he said, let's meet at this restaurant downtown called Demas's. It's when it was just a single location, and I ordered their meat-based lasagna. Stouffer's was never quite the same again. <laughs> I mean, Demas is that meat-based lasagna that you have to pour the sauce over. That's the mountaintop of lasagna, right? So I still eat the other, but I'm not quite as satisfied as I was before. That's why mountaintops are important. The church I grew up in had a an orchestra, mostly men, if I remember, who played horns. And they were okay. I liked those guys. You know, I saw them around the church and say hi to them. But then they would always play during the offering. While the offering was passed, they would play some kind of like victory in Jesus and horns. It didn't really inspire me musically. I mean, no, no offense to anyone, but they seemed like they were having a good time. The rest of us were enduring it, Right. That's why they had it during the offering. <laughs> but, okay, it, it was fine. So I heard, I heard the orchestra. I heard, I heard, you know, at my high school and junior high, we had a little band, and my church had a little bit of band. But that's about all my exposure to, to, to music, music, classical music was. So sometime in my 30s, um, Beth started taking me to the Nashville Symphony. And we, we got season tickets for a couple of years. And at first I was just going for her. But then I started hearing music in a different way. It was like a wall of sound that hits you in that, in that beautiful, beautiful performance hall. And earlier this year, when the Violins of Hope came through town, or maybe it was late last year, uh, that performance touched my soul in a way I can't really describe. And I listen to music differently than I used to. Why? Because there's a little bit of difference from my home church's brass section, no offense, and this kind of mountaintop experience at a world-class symphony. And now I listen to music differently. I, I can actually now pick out parts in ways I couldn't pick out parts before. I used to love to go to downtown Dallas because I love the energy of a city and there's tall buildings there and there's cultural things and, and I loved going to downtown Dallas. Downtown Nashville was fine too, I liked it also. Um, and I had kind of a bad attitude towards New York City because of those cultural stereotypes. We believe, like, New York City. Who wants to go to New York City? I'm going to stay safe here in Dallas. I don't need to go to New York City. I'll stay here in Nashville. Why would you want to go to New York City? <laughs> One year, 2006, I went to New York City. And I thought I'd been to a city before, but man. That was a, that's a city. 
it's kind of an incomparable in, in vastness and in, in cultural opportunities. So it is. That's why we need these mountaintops. Remember the scripture we read in Exodus? There's a follow-up to that scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to, to, I want you to go along with the scripture and try not to zone out because it's somewhat complicated, starting with verse 12, but there's an ending that will connect you to what we're trying to say. Starting with verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 3, it says, Since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, that's us, if you know Jesus, the veil is removed. Verse 17, that the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18, we all with unveiled faces, we don't have the veil anymore, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the spirit. So I'm reinforcing here these experiences we have with God. These mountaintop experiences that are valuable and helpful. They help us see Jesus. They help us experience transformation ourselves. And it's now commonplace for Christians. Sunday to Sunday, devotional to devotion, Bible scripture to Bible scripture, unveiled faces, transformation over and over and over again. And so the Lord gives us the mountaintop. I'm gonna keep talking about the value of the mountaintop before I tell you not to stay at the mountaintop. The mountaintop helps us to see things others can't see. We, we, we have a view and we can see further and we can see clearer. I think about this when I think about the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his colleagues. Because whenever we honor Dr. King, we honor many, many people. We honor an entire movement of people who saw things differently. Um, Dr. King's last speech may have been arguably his greatest speech. Uh, the I Have a Dream speech in 1963 is incomparable with its national impact. But on April 3rd, 1968, the night before um, Dr. King was assassinated, he gave a remarkable speech in which he referenced a mountaintop. I want to tell you more about this speech. It was in Memphis, and it was at the Church of God in Christ headquarters uh, called uh, Mason Temple. And I, I do want to say something. For those of you with a, a Pentecostal heritage, the Church of God in Christ are the least celebrated denomination, which they should be celebrated more. They're the largest Pentecostal denomination in America, and the, the third biggest in America. And the reason they're not celebrated, it's a... It's an African-American denomination, and so their story has not been celebrated as it should be. And there at this 
the, the Mason Temple, Dr. King gives this speech. It was a prophetic speech. No one knew he would be assassinated the next day. But I want to read part of it, and then I'll show you part of it. He told the story about how he was stabbed in New York City at a book signing. A lady came up to him and said, are you Dr. Martin Luther King? He said, yes, she stabbed him, and he almost lost his life um, you know, about 10 years earlier. And on, on the way to the hospital, uh, the, the papers had reported if he sneezed, would have sneezed, he would have died because the, the blade was stuck in a vulnerable spot near his aorta. A little girl wrote him a letter, and she said, um, I'm glad you didn't sneeze that day. So Dr. King is telling this, and I'll read what he said. He says, I want to say tonight that I'm happy that I didn't sneeze. Because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960 when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters, and that was right here in Nashville. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1961 when we decided to take the ride for freedom. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963 when the black people of Birmingham, Alabama aroused the conscience of this nation and brought it into and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to tell America about a dream that I had. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been down in Selma, Alabama to see the great movement there. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been in Memphis to see a community rally around brothers and sisters who are suffering. I am so happy that I didn't sneeze. Beautiful words, beautiful words and uh, uh, prophetic words. And then he goes on and I'll let the video tell the rest of the clip. And he talks about the mountain. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. What a powerful. Yeah, go ahead and give your affirmation to that. Um, boy, it's hard to keep preaching after that, but I wanted you to, th that was going to be the quote I shared with you today, and I went ahead and found the video, because a man who was on the mountaintop was able to see what others couldn't see, and declare what others couldn't see. That was his very, very last speech. Uh, haunting, but inspiring. One of my favorite places to go is the 
amazing architectural marvel, the uh, St. Louis Archway, the St. Louis Arch. Um, th- this, is, this is just an amazing uh, accomplishment. And, and look these things up. Look up Dr. King's last speech, by the way. Read about that some more. And, and if you're ever bored or have insomnia, look about look out how, the, how this was made, this amazing marvel of the 20th century. In fact, for my 40th birthday, that's where we went. Me, kids, we went because I wanted to go back. I've been there three times in my life uh, because I find it's pretty amazing. So it's exciting to go to the top, but once you get to the top, it's not the greatest atmosphere. You, 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 because of the way it's constructed, and you can see this, is um, you can go to the next picture. You can only, you, you have to look out of these little slats like this. It's not real comfortable. You can see that it's kind of claustrophobic. So as amazing as it is to go to the top, um, you know, you don't want to stay there too long. Um, you see things that you've never seen before, and you understand that you, you, you have a perspective that you didn't have at the bottom. But eventually, a park ranger is going to say, okay, it's time to move on. We've got other people at the bottom who want to who go up. Here, here's my last observation, and it's the title of our message. Jesus doesn't let us stay on the mountain. He doesn't let us stay in those unique places. He said, verse 36, after the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent after that, and no one told what they had seen, at least at that time. The Mark's, uh, Mark gives us more insight to this in Mark chapter 9, verse 8. It says, then suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Jesus says, come on, let's not stay on the mountain. Let's not build the shelters. We're going to go down. He even says, wait and tell the story at a later time uh, because God's timing is always, um, is always important. So sometimes he wants us to hold things in our hearts. But they did tell the story. How do I know that they told the story? Because I'm telling you the story now. And the story has been told over and over and over again. And um, those 25 years ago, when I went on that trip with Young Life, we talked about this story that whole trip. Uh, we, we talked about that story in our devotions and our time. And I want to show you that picture again. There's something I didn't realize about that picture. We're at the highest point we, we, we were on that trip. But they didn't tell us this until we got back down after the tri- trip. You notice there's nothing, there's no vegetation, there's no trees. There's no, ve- there's, there's no vegetables, there's no uh, shrubs, no, no grass. Uh, we had crossed the tree line where the altitude is so high, nothing can grow. And as we talked about the mountain of transfiguration, they reminded me then, I'm gonna remind you this now, is that there's no fruit if you stay on the mountain. You can't just stay in the world of ideals and vision you have to go down among the people and there's risk for Dr. King and men assassination. For, for some of us, it's gonna mean um, other types of risk and danger, but the Lord said he's with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. And so Jesus says, you know, it's not good for you. It's not good for you to always stay in the mountaintop. It's not good for you to always chase experiences. Get all the joy and life out of, out of those experiences. Get everything you can out of Lee University, but don't be 40 years old and still paying Lee to be there, okay? If they pay you, that's another thing. 
Get everything you can. Like, like, come on to CIL and receive and receive and receive. But you're receiving so that you can sow out again. You know, experience Jesus and, and, and go to these Bible studies and conferences and do everything you can. And, and know that he's using the mountaintop for transformation. He's using the mountaintop for revelation. He's using the mountaintop for perspective. He's using mountaintop to change you and to show you where to go. But you're going to come back off that mountain and there's a new glory on you because you've seen Jesus in a new way. There's a new power. There's a new perspective. There's a new way of walking and there it's there below the tree line where the growth is, where the fruit is, where the daily life is. Come on, don't don't give. Don't become a teacher of the word if you don't apply this stuff in your own home. Come on, that's where the valley is. I can get up here all day and I can, I can pray great prayers from here. I can pray great and powerful prayers that impress, impress you and people say, oh, Pastor Aaron, that was so powerful at the end of the service. You preached so good. You prayed so good. But if I cannot pray by myself in my home, in my car, where I'm not celebrated, then I am not getting the true fruit God wants me to have. You have to go down into the daily. You have to go down into the place that's regular. It's not spectacular. It's not the place where you take a selfie out. It's not a place that you frame a picture of. It is daily. It is tough. It is hard. It is consistent. But Jesus has taken you to the mountaintop and he is going down with you. And he is going down with you to the place of fruitfulness and the place of growth. That's where Jesus is. Let's stand together.